Welcome to a series of podcasts from the Irish Linen Centre and Lisburn Museum. In these podcasts, we talk to historians, journalists, authors and community practitioners and invite them to share their research, their love of museums and their thoughts on the role museums play in society. This podcast has been made possible with the generous support from Lisburn and Castlereagh City Council. Hello and welcome back to the Lisburn Museum. Join us on the penultimate week of our Winter Talk series is Dixie Dean, who is here to talk about the plight of the big houses in Northern Ireland. Dixie, you're very welcome to the Lisburn Museum. Thank you very much. Dixie, if I could just start with your background, could you tell us your background and how you came to this topic of the big houses in Northern Ireland and perhaps what it means by a big house? Well, it goes back a long way. Um, I left school, I suppose about 1963, without any careers office. And uh, my intention was to play cricket for England. That was my, my only ambition in life. <laughs> Until the art teacher came to me and said, why don't you, t- you can draw a bit. Why don't you try architecture? So... Cut a long story short, in 1964, I find myself studying architecture at Belfast College of Art, and um, our studio master set us the task of writing a thesis on the gate lodges and estate entrance gates of Northern Ireland. And I was smitten immediately, not necessarily by the gate lodges, but the whole setup of the big houses up the, up the avenue. But my interest, that had an influence on, on, on my practice of architecture in that um, I wasn't too keen on the, the concrete and, and glass part of things rather rather than um, the historical side. And um, I say most of my most of my buildings after that were all pastiche, sort of um, neoclassical and indeed neo-Tudor. And, and you, the term big house, it probably covers a wide range of things. Could you give us a couple of examples of well, what house, you mean by the big house? The definition of a big house is very difficult to, to, to find in that um, well, everything's relative. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a lot bigger than our house, as yeah. I would have thought. You said that the, the big houses were very influential on you. And there was a time when building of big houses was in vogue. So when was we termed the golden age well, of big houses? The golden age, right, um, it's quite simple. Because in, certainly in the north of Ireland, um, the, the building of big houses was limited to two centuries. Simple as that. 1720 to about 1920. Um, building of big house didn't begin until really calm had descended on, on the island after 1690. That, that, was, that was the golden period, really. And uh, it was very short. And where would we find some of the local big houses in the Lisburn area? Well, it would have been very close to linen mills. Um, further afield, it would have been like Brook Hill, for instance, towards Ballandary. Uh, it would have been where ground was fertile. So, so it would have been very close to the, the owner's uh, place of business yes, or business interests? Yes, like uh, the big linen magnets like um, at Glenmore, or the Richardsons. Strangely enough, the linen merchants' houses have survived far better than most and what do you think the reasons are for that? I, I suppose that they were a, a reasonable and sustainable size okay. to look after. They didn't suffer from social change like an awful lot of mm-hmm. big country houses did. I, I've, I've been reading your book and you, you do mention that the people who were in the, who owned these houses perhaps overstretched themselves and couldn't look after the, the big houses. Did I say that? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Um, well, this is true because um, there was an awful lot of folly involved um, the, for instance, the heir immediately inherited, he may have frittered away a fortune 
It certainly happened a big house down in um, Ochnacloy called Garvey, and it was started in 1812. And by 1815, it was completed, and he had fled to France because his creditors were chasing after him. And that's shortest lived house I can think. There are different styles. You, you've mentioned uh, two different styles that you were influenced by. What are the variations in, in the big houses in terms of style? Did they follow a style that was either local or UK or even Europe-wide? Well, no, they were, they were um, initially, um, they could be quite plain. Gentry farmers' houses were very plain and vernacular. Um, then you went from that to classical, indeed, uh, Gothic, Georgian Gothic. Um, Italian, it became very popular after a while with its obligatory um, viewing tower, Belvedere. Um, and then there was a Tudor revival. Cottage, cottage ornate, but finally arts and crafts. And so it was a real Europe-wide influence that's brought to bear in the uh, architecture well, locally? It was, more, it was more British, you know, mm-hmm. and, and English um, in particular, because um, around about the 1770s until about the 1870s, uh, pattern books were very important, architectural pattern books, and um, rather than employ an architect, which of course decided they couldn't afford, um, they would um, take a pattern from from these books, replicated. You have mentioned that the, the golden age was between perhaps 1720 and 1920. Mm-hmm. 1920, the island of Ireland is ablaze in many respects. Mm-hmm. How did the sort of what's termed now the Irish Revolutionary Period um, impact the, the big houses? Well, strangely enough, in Ulster, it impacted far less than the rest of the island. Um, in fact, in that first wave of troubles, the 20s, Second wave, of course, seventies and eighties, I suppose. Um, that first wave, there were only ten, ten houses um, destroyed, um, and three of which were rebuilt. Whereas, well, the reason for that, I think, is because um, in Ulster or Northern Ireland, the, um, the landlord and his tenantry really had the same political aspirations, mm-hmm. and they weren't at each other's throats all the time. They were loyal to the crown, in other words. Yeah. In, in your book, you've talked about the depressed state of many of the big houses. Do you think now, in more recent times, there's been more of a, um, an urge or a culture of preservation of, of these big houses? Absolutely, no doubt about it. And, um, I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that it coincided with the formation of the Ulster Architectural Heritage Society. Um, they made everybody aware of our architectural heritage. and um, they, they lobby like mad. They lobby the public. They lobby... Uh, they lobby ministers, they lobby planners. They're constantly on monitoring the situation. And I suppose there are some of the big houses that are, that are uh, managed by the National Trust, things like that. Is that a factor, that these are uh, more carefully managed, the ones that are, are in, in those hands? Well, they certainly make everybody more conscious of mm-hmm. what, we, what we have. And do you think there's a, um, a way to go to improve our understanding and appreciation of, of the big houses? I think possibly it's in the hands of the planners and the authorities to be more strict upon... Um, there still are some outrages about, not as many as there used to be, but it's Nee Carn House in Fermanagh and um, Favour Royal in Tyrone are just lying there rotting away. In terms, again, of partition of the island in the 20, 26 counties of, of the south, is it much the same in, in terms of... The, the state of the big houses or who they're managed by or who, who's in charge? Well, they're very active down south as well. They are a Georgian society. And, uh, 
things have changed dramatically down there as well. You have been involved in this this area for quite a while. And is there any item that you have come across in your research which you would place in the Lisburn Museum? Well, I mean, I've only become conscious of it. For instance, um, there are a bit, a bit lacking photographs of the insides of these big houses. Um, I can think of Conway has a huge archive of photographs taken internally. What role do you think that a museum like the Lisburn Museum would have in making people more aware of this uh, architectural heritage that we should all enjoy? Well, can I quote you what I think might be an, a good example? Is that um, 1974, there was an, an exhibition in the Victorian Albert Museum in London, an accompanying book called The Destruction of the Country House, which it was um, hugely influential in that um, this exhibition um, highlighted, I think, 1,600 big houses in Great Britain were lost in the previous century from 1875, simply through a big exhibition. And uh, there's no reason why museums here shouldn't replicate that. It's definitely food for thought because you know, we have the, the linen houses of the Lagan Valley, which are quite close by, and in some cases hidden from the public view. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think we, we have a, a role in... in and they don't have to be lost houses on your exhibition. Obviously, you can give the surviving ones. Obviously, from, from there are books out there. This is Rankin's book. Yeah. It's very significant. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I could phrase this in, in a different way. If there was one particular house, big house, that caught your eye, if you could quite possibly put that inside a museum, which house would it be? There have been quite a few houses which I look upon. It's a, a, an absolute... Shame I've been lost. Uh, but there's one in particular, which... Um, no, I can't pick one out, but I will. Um, Roxburgh House in County Tyrone, a massive French chateau, um, which is long gone. And, of course, then there was the, the Tynan Abbey outrage. It was a beautiful house, which um, they demolished rather than keep it as a, a picturesque ruin. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I could go on. No, I can't well, pick one out. But it, it, it's, it's very difficult. Do. Your passion for this comes through. Yeah. But I suppose, it's, we're, we're, I suppose we're fortunate that we live in a more enlightened age where these houses are preserved and aren't targeted. But I'm really looking forward to your talk this evening, Dixie. So thank you for joining me here. Thank you.